Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. Today I'm joined by Chris McDonald of SAC Consulting and Hugh Chalmers of the Tweed Farm. This podcast is going to focus mainly on natural flood management. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Chris McDonald. I am a, a consultant, agricultural consultant with uh, with SAC, and uh, I work in the Lowlands and Peeblesshire areas. And uh, uh, these these areas are uh, quite varied. Got some great arable land, but also sort of hill sheep and, and cattle. Particularly interested in in in, in the soil. As well, so which is an important part of, of flood management. So over to you. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I'm Hugh Chalmers from Tweed Forum. I'm, uh, my title is the Collaborative Action Coordinator. Uh, so Tweed Forum really is the catchment management organisation for for the River Tweed. So we're interested in what happens to the River Tweed and keeping it looking yeah, good as it is. Uh, so we do work with farmers a lot, and one of the projects we're working on just now with uh, Scottish Government funding and with Dundee University is looking at how to implement natural flood management. So that, that's, that's one of our projects. Uh, we do, I've been working in the borders for the last 25 years in environmental projects. Tweed Forum, we, we do lots of interesting things just to keep the river pristine. Great. So I think I'd just like to start by asking both of you, what is natural flood management? As far as I'm, I would see it in a farming context, uh, I would really understand it to mean uh, measures that farmers can take uh, to reduce the impact of flooding uh, on their own land and also further downstream. And most of these measures, well many of these measures can be quite small, they don't have to impact on the the farm profitability. For farmers it's really about identifying measures that can be taken uh, and sort of understanding uh, what impact their farming activities might have on, on flooding. Yeah, I mean, from Tweed Forum's point of view, we, we tend to look at a river catchment so and, and how that behaves. Uh, the Edelson is quite interesting because there's a classic kind of source uh, and receptor. There's the source of the rainfall on the river and then there's a, a receptor, that's the village of Edelson and Peebles, which both flood due to the, the Edelson water. So it's, it's flooding coming from the river. So there's something, you know, can we do something about it? And the reason we've been asked to, to look at this is because natural flood management and the techniques, we, we know what techniques there are, and we'll talk about them later, but do will these techniques work, and when will they work, in what circumstances? We have set up almost an outdoor lab in the 70 square kilometres of the Edison catchment and working with farmers to do what we can on their farms. But really it has to be a, a more a collective approach I appreciate the fact that every farmer has to be do things to justify it in, on their own farm. But they're doing it for a reason. They're doing it because there is flooding downstream. Um, and, you know, and the reasons for that are, are many. It could be you know, increased storms and intensity. That might be something to do with climate change. Or it could be a more of a historical thing, the way the land's been managed in the, in the past. Edelson's interesting because the river was straightened round about, well, from... 1800 onwards for to put in a new toll road, and then the new railway in 1850 helped again. And but also the, like every, everywhere, the land's been under drained, so with clay tiles. So that means the, the kind of hydrology of the whole catchment has changed over the centuries. So basically, the water runs off really quickly, and if it does that, it gets to a restricting point such as you know, the bridge in Peebles and floods houses. So. So there's been big changes. So it's how 
we're not necessarily wanting to go back in time, but it's looking at how we can reduce the the speed of runoff of rainfall. And so sticking with the project at Edelson, what work have have you done there to try and uh, reduce the flooding downstream? Okay, so we've been talking to the farmers and really getting to know them and getting to know what how they how they farm the area, and we did a, a yeah, proper study of the whole catchment, looking at land cover and, and land use, and you know, there's a fair bit of forestry, there's some rough grazing, lots of improved grasslands, one or two bits of arable. So, and uh, we, you know, we looked at how the rivers had been treated. So the most, I suppose, the most spectacular thing we've been doing is taking the straightened rivers. And, and giving them a more natural form, so that's called re-meandering. Uh, everyone knows that you know, the best parts of the ground is probably down by the river on the floodplain, because the, the valley has a glacial a glacial trench filled with, with gravel, and that's where you've got some really good silage ground. So obviously, first thing you know, the project looked at was maintaining farmers' income. So we knew we couldn't go into the, the, the silage ground, but there's quite a lot of uh, very poorly drained land at the bottom there and that's where we, we were able to negotiate with farmers and find ways to restore a more natural sinuous line to the river but it's not just the nice wiggly shape it's also about removing the, the banks at the side of the river because that was you know, restricting flood water because that's what it was designed for so if we could allow the river to flood in these places where we re that allows flood water to occupy that space and so if it's if it's occupying that space, it, it can't flood peoples at the same time. So obviously it depends on the size of flood, but we think that uh, you know, this, will, this has got a, a, an immediate immediate effect uh, if we can re- reconnect the river with its floodplain. Uh, so that's, that's one of one of the techniques. So we did this re-meandering. Uh, so there's other ways in, in the wider catchment to basically slow down the rate of water coming from coming off the land and into the river. Once it's into the river or the streams, you basically can say goodbye to it. Uh, it's going to go and do its own thing. But if we can slow it down in the whole catchment, uh, that's very useful. So one way to do that is to use the soil's capacity, to, because soil is obviously, it should have uh, air spaces in it. So if we can use that soil capacity to, to take some of the rain, and that, that means getting better infiltration. So it's good for farmers to do aeration on the land anyway. So, but there's other ways we can we can do that, and, and one way is by putting in transverse hedges, so that uh, when water does run across the top, it's the rough grass at the edges of, of the hedges, and uh, and infiltrates into the soil. And the same thing happens uh, in, if we're planting trees, and we've been planting a lot of native trees up there, over 200 hectares now. That means that this, the water is in, infiltrates into the soil. It takes longer to get from there into the stream. And of course, if you plant a tree that's going to uh, intercept rainfall, it's going to transpire water. So it all helps to reduce the, the runoff. We're actually putting in uh, high flow restricting log jams, and that's really just uh, mimicking the effect of native trees, uh, our ancient woodland. Uh, and, uh, and so basically, occasionally a tree will fall over and will cause it a bit of an obstruction for the water coming off the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we can mimic that natural process, we can actually hold water in certain subcatchments where it doesn't matter. So if the lights are in, in forestry, uh, if, if there's water lying there for an extra two days, that, that's neither here nor there. So we can actually hold water in the landscape in, in all kinds of ways. So you're slowing down the flow so it's not 
flooding the economically important areas. That's right. And economically important areas can be, you know, silage fields or it can be someone's house. Yeah. And so it's a way of doing that, and you know, we don't know if we've done it yet. We've done a lot, but we're still uh, it's the whole catchment's been measured. Uh, that's the that's the useful thing about the Edelson catchment. It's very highly monitored, so we know how much rain comes in what time and where, and we know the response, and we have a baseline. So when, when a big, biggest flood comes, we'll be able to measure the effect of our, our measures, mm. our techniques. Well, I was just interested to ask you about the po- ponds and off-stream off uh, storage mm. of water. Has that been something you've tried? In uh, yes, uh, that's another thing. I haven't uh, remembered that. So basically, we put in, uh, I think, about 30 ponds now, and they're all designed to have some extra capacity during a flood. So the way we do that is by allowing the, the, the pond to, to fill up with water during a flood but restricting its output to so a smallish pipe. Once the, once the pond fills up, say maybe holding an extra 100 cubic metres or maybe a 1,000, it will spill over a spillway. So, But in doing so, that's acting as a buffer to slow down the flow into the stream. So that's one way to do it. And, it, and ponds are good. You know, we can... We can build a pond quite easily. There's so many good good things about ponds. You know, we haven't talked about the biodiversity benefits, yeah. but putting a pond in immediately, you've got frogs, you've probably got newts, you've got ducks, and the, it, everyone likes a pond. You know, the way the the sunshine reflects off the water, you know, it, it does it can actually enhance the value of property. So, and does the, does the level of water go up and down in the pond? Uh, you know, well, we had a really dry summer this year. I mean, did, uh, what effect did that have on the yeah, well, generally we design the ponds so they won't dry out, so we'll dig them deep yeah. into the, uh, where there's some, there is some water. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, there's kind of dried edges, and that's, that's all good for biodiversity. Well, that's um, presumably what you want, isn't it? You want the pond to be sort of going up and down, so when you've not got a flood, you've got enough capacity there to hold the, the water. Yes, yeah, so you've got a little bit for wildlife, but basically some of our bigger ponds will have about 70 centimetres of freeboard, and... They will, it will only ever be up to full capacity maybe once every couple of years. You know, right, so. okay. Yeah. So it's not a, so that, that really won't affect the vegetation. So you won't get a, a nasty drawdown scar like you get in reservoirs. You get a, quite an attractive wildlife pond but which has flood, flood reduction capacity as well. We've, we've spoken a little bit about what you've done at Edelston and the methods you've implemented there. But are there any other natural flood management methods? Well, we haven't really done a great deal in field, as it were, and that, that's where you know, increasing infiltration uh, through using a spike roller really is, the, is one of the way, ways we'd like to do more of. We did some of that in the Cheviots, actually, with a previous project. Uh, but in Edelston, it would be useful because we might be able to measure what we're, the success of that. So that would be slowing the water down, infiltration of the water down further up in the, in, in the catchment? Yeah, well, I suppose you can do it anywhere, but uh, there is an issue of synchronisation of, uh, of floods because what we've got in Edelson is typical of most catchments. We have water near the, the receptor, i.e. the place it floods, uh, streams near there, and if we let that water come through first, mm. we can delay the, the water coming from further away up the catchment. If we did it the other way around, if we slowed down the water closest to Peebles and and allowed the water to be go fast from the north of the catchment further away, well, there would be synchronisation of flood flows yeah. and that would make the flooding worse. So we're trying to decouple that. And so actually, so most of our work has actually been done in the 
he gets furthest away from uh, Edelson. Yeah, so there's a bit of synchronicity there. And so anything, including soil amelioration, I mean, it should be done for all kinds of reasons anyway. Uh, but we're tending to, to focus our efforts further up the catchment. So erosion of banks is obviously quite a big issue as well when it comes to flooding. Um, have you come across any methods of um, reducing the bank side erosion um, mm. through your work? Uh, yes, in fact, we work with CEPA quite a lot uh, to you know we've set up three demonstration sites uh, with the Edelson catchment, but looking at how we can reduce flooding. Uh, and, and the erosion and, and taking away arable land, so that's where it's important to do that. So what we've been doing is trying to say recreate a, a stable bank using vegetation, which is basically willow trees or aspen trees. So there's a, there's ways of designing uh, a bank to become more stable and to get this kind of tensile strength. But it all depends on the kind of bank. So we've been using, as I say, willow. Aspen, we've been using uh, root wads of trees, we've been using whole trees, whole conifer trees, anchored into the bank in various ways, and then perhaps using a, a jute mesh to get vegetation stabilised. Uh, so it's all been very interesting, and, uh, and there was uh, somewhat some money from SEPA to do that. On the Edelson water, although we're trying to re-naturalise the banks, we've had to do some bank restoration of bank uh, yeah, bank work to to make the river go where we want it to go. So what we've used is we've actually taken Sitka spruce uh, and the best thing to get is a, is a windblown crop of spruce or larch in fact uh, and pull them out with the roots intact so maybe five metres long then we can use them in various ways to stabilise the bank and basically build them up uh, and see by count this as a green bank restoration as opposed to grey bank, which is using large rock, which we have used in places where where we, we need to protect roads, for example, where you can't have erosion. So, yeah, so there's various techniques out there, um, and we've learned that really you have to do more than you initially thought in terms of the, the stretch of river to stop erosion, because if you know the erosion gets around the back of your, uh, your restoration attempts, you know, that just all goes to pop. So, uh, yeah, so there's interesting ways there, but uh, using Sitka spruce has been useful uh, with the root wads. The big issue with that really is uh, transporting them from A to B, so if you've got some on site, yeah. it's very easy. And we were lucky at Edelson in the, our Lake Wood area that we were felling a couple of hectares of, of uh, Sitka spruce with some good roots. Although it did, it did cost us money to fell them at five metres and dig them out, so it's all, <laughs> all relative. So, yes, we've done quite a bit of that, but uh, we've also done uh, a good series of different techniques on the Bowman water down near the Etam. So we've, uh, we've actually costed out four different ways of, of uh, protecting banks there. And again, that was just to protect an arable field, because other things such as we use some new nylon socks filled with compost, not quite successful. Uh, and then just the wooden palisade that uh, was the least successful of all. So, so some good examples there. It's all on the on the Tweedfoon website. So th- these are all kind of things that we've spoken about. That if if a farmer has a problem and he's trying to solve it, he might look to these kind of green engineering solutions. But what what can farmers do in their everyday kind of management that might mm. help benefit natural flood management? Yeah, well I think you have to look at the whole farm really uh, and decide, you know. And there are various pressures on farmers just now to protect 
water courses are going to be kept clean. So if there's a way we can combine the benefits of planting trees beside a river, so riparian native planting uh, with some new fences, that's very, that's been very useful. Uh, that's one of the many benefits of planting trees beside rivers. So if we can put, keep livestock from poaching rivers, uh, that will keep sheep off uh, farmers' back. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with that. It's uh, it's a case of farmers sort of maybe identifying where the the high risk points on their farm is and uh, making sure that they're aware that the activities that are low risk for for flood for flooding. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of things like um, simple things, even just like tram lines in an arable field. You'll have tram lines are, are an essential part of arable farming. They're they're used for for all the activities that go on throughout the growing season. Um, but if tram lines are on a steep slope going up and down the hill, they tend to get compacted, and when you get high rainfall, water will run down the tram lines, causing some soil erosion potentially into into the river. So if you could look at having the tram lines going across the slope instead of up and down the slope, that's a fairly simple simple measure that that reduces the risk. A alternatively, having a double double line of tram lines at the, at the bottom of the slope would reduce the risk and also having buffer zones up, up, uh, uh, next to the water course uh, makes a lot of sense as well there is a mandatory buffer zone two metres where you can't uh, cultivate the soil within two metres of a water course but in some situations it might make sense to have a, a wider buffer zone than that uh, particularly on, on these high risk areas and yeah, incorporating uh, trees into that buffer zone might give an added benefit uh, like some of the things that Hugh was talking about earlier that's right, so that added benefits can be, well, could be carbon capture, so you may be able to find funding for that. There can be shading of the, the streams, there's, there's a bit of an issue on the Tweed, you know, we're, we're looking at areas that are going to be very vulnerable to overheating of the water, and that's going to kill off you know, lots of salmon and trout fry, so mm-hmm. there's shading uh, as well. So, but also, we've been working with quite a few farmers, especially uh, very evident in 2012 when there's it's a terribly wet summer and people, sheep are dying everywhere with excess fluke. Yeah. Uh, so if we can, but there are areas that can keep, keep animals out of wet ground so it's less likely to get, get fluke or the effects might not be as bad. So, so that's a good one. Liver fluke on the yeah. East Coast is something that we didn't used to see much of, but in the last 10 years yeah. or so it's increased a lot and uh, well, it's all connected with the snail and the life cycle and the snail needs a, needs a wet habitat to live in. So if we can uh, fence off these wet areas, then uh, yeah. try and now, break the life cycle. You're right, because we never really talked about it 10 years ago, but everyone's uh, uh, talking about yeah, we yep. can make a pond there as long as we fence it off uh, and keep the animals out. So that's uh, it's very interesting. There's also biosecurity reasons for you know, double fencing a, a stream, so you're, you're not getting nose-to-nose contact, and then there's there can be... Nasty things coming down the water. I think there's Jones disease, one of them. So there's good reason to fence off off stream sites, and I think you know, maybe you know 50% cover with native trees is just uh, would just just be ideal, really. Going well, back to what Chris said there about the, the tram lines and the compaction in some of these arable fields, what what can they do in the in the wetter part of the year where the fields could be just sitting bare, what can be done there to reduce the runoff? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense not to have the fields lying, you know, ploughed, for example, over the winter. Situations where you've got a, a winter crop and following it with a spring crop, there's the option to plant cover crops. 
Um, and that can be used as part of the environmentally focused area requirement under the uh, farm subsidies for greening. And, uh, you know, cover crops can also have huge benefits for improving soil structure. If you choose something like fodder radish, it will grow quite deep and uh, improve the soil structure following a, a, a previous crop. Cover crops also help to retain nutrients as well, so you're retaining the, the nitrogen in the cover crop, and then when you're ploughing it in the fall or cultivating it in the following year, you've still got those nutrients available for the following crop. I mean, the other thing is to identify if you've got wet areas of the farm that are really not very productive, you could look at taking those out of uh, agricultural production and putting them into one of the agri-environment schemes or woodland and so on. Uh, and the chances are a lot of these areas will be will will be more beneficial for flood management because if they're wet areas, you know, they're 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 likely to be sort of lower down closer to, to, to streams and rivers and so on. There might be farmers listening to this now and they're thinking, This all sounds great, but what is the benefit to a farmer for actually going out and implementing these things? If they if they, if a farmer doesn't have a obvious flood issue what what are the what are the other benefits? Tangible benefits. So we talk more about that. So it's basically animal health. There's also, I mean, sometimes you just want to fence off the river because animals are drowning. That's mm-hmm. a very tangible benefit. You're losing less livestock, uh, and so that's, we've done that in a few cases. Uh, <clears throat> after that, I mean, sometimes it helps to put a if you've got a river running beside your your march, say a march dike, which needs a lot of maintenance. You can actually fence off, put a nice new fence on another side, paid for by say by Forestry Commission and other funds. So you're benefiting. Then you get a nice new boundary fence. So you know fences are very expensive. So that's that's, what, that's a tangible benefit. So after that, you know it's, the things become less tangible. You know the fact that you're sort of taking in carbon and make it make you feel better. You might get some payment for that. Uh, after that, it's more you know trees look nice, nice in the landscape, landscape improvement. There'll be there might be a place where you can have uh, rear some pheasants or something like that. So there's, there are wildlife benefits. Not all farmers like all kinds of wildlife, but yeah, uh, there'll be you know, there's a good you create wildlife connectivity. So it's better for you know, the environment in total. Uh, it may increase the value of the farm in the future if you think of selling. So so yeah, there's there are, there are many benefits, but uh, not all not all realizable in your pocket. I think just coming in there that. that I mean, the soil is what is fundamental in, in, in agriculture and, um, you know, they aren't making it anymore, unfortunately. So if, you're, if, if you lose a lot of soil through erosion into the, into the river, you know, you've lost it, you're not going to get it back again. So measures that reduce uh, soil erosion are obviously helping agriculture. You know, if you get a lot of soil going in the river, you also have issues with drainage, Affecting drainage schemes, a yeah, I think your gravel management and sediment management in rivers is, is quite important in some catchments. So the likes of the Bowman is very seems a very friable kind of catchment. Yeah. Uh, massive amounts of sediment going down the river. We're talking big gravel when you're landing on farmers' fields, but it's also the fine sediment is not good for the river either because that basically the, the fine sediment will block up the spaces in the gravel where the fish are. Are uh, living you know, as, as eggs over winter, mm-hmm. so there's a big there's an environmental cost as well. So, so if we can stabilise our river banks, you know, with trees, it's probably the only way we're going to do it. 
Um, you don't want to use lots of rock or concrete or whatever. If you can stabilise whole catchments, there's a, that's a, a good benefit for, probably for the farmer downstream, to be honest. You're, you may not benefit from having less, but as Chris says, you're losing less, you're losing your soil if you're getting erosion. So. I think the other thing with the soil that we haven't mentioned is organic matter and you know a soil with a good organic matter content will tend to be uh, less prone to erosion than, than a, 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 a low organic matter soil so in a measure like that obviously organic matter helps farmers in a, so many other things such as getting on the ground at, at different times of the year and um, being more fertile in itself. Do you think it's a case then where farmers need to come together in a group and try and bring about these changes as a, a whole. I think generally speaking, it's good if people get together and work together. But uh, in this in this case in particular, it's ideal. Farmers are all different, and uh, you know it's it's quite. Well, I think uh, I think Tweed Forum really deserve a lot of credit for the work they've done, That's bringing the catchment thing. together uh, in in Edelston and that and. It, it shouldn't be underestimated how important it is to have people on the ground, you know, making these things happen. Farmers are busy people, have, they've got their mind on trying to grow crops or, or, mm-hmm. or produce animals and uh, they have very little time for planning things out such as catchment yeah. management. So you do need somebody on the ground actually making things happen. Yeah, I think that's the extent of the Edelson project and, and our catchment management projects we do is, uh, and just to to talk to a farmer to, to identify where they are in the catchment and how they could help. We are, we are they are co- collaborating together, but you know they don't have to sign up to any any kind of ECAF. Or which, uh, if we can make it work for them, it's for our own reason that we're doing it. But we need the farmers on board uh, and to explain to them, you know, just to explain to them what we'd like to do and how it could fit in with their business. I think that's the only way ahead. Really, we can't. We're not. Uh, in the business of coercing people into doing anything, so it's got to make it. It's got to make sense to their business, and to do that it takes time, and uh, you got to get to know the farmer, the farming system, and uh, and then what's what's available out there in terms of funding. Uh, um, that's where Tude Forum comes in. Following up on that, we spoke a, a little bit about some some potential funding uh, opportunities, but where are the the financial incentives for farmers. Well, the good the good news uh, is that there's, there's the Agri Environment Climate Change Scheme is uh, will be funded uh, again next year. So for 2019, there'll be a, another round. Uh, I think it opens up in in January. So they, they that scheme offers grants for fencing, a uh, fencing of water margins, for example, a various activities on arable farms that you can reduce the the risk of flooding. Uh, there's grants for alternative watering, which is methods of providing uh, water troughs to, to animals to, to drink out of if, if you're uh, fencing off the water margin. Because there is another round next year, really, to have a look at the, the Agri-Environment Climate Change Scheme, you'll see it on the website and uh, consider whether it's worthwhile putting an application in. Um, there's also forestry grant schemes as well, which... Uh, well, we've done got a lot of forestry grant scheme funded schemes on uh, uh, you know, flooding projects, and including on the Edelson. So that's been the main one, really. That's the kind of basis. But because the, our schemes tend to be a, a bit more expensive because they're long and thin, uh, we can find we have to find other uh, funds. So yeah, two forms been 
doing our best. You know, we get money from off-site mitigation for wind farms. We get off-site mitigation for quarrying uh, and also uh, carbon offset. There is a woodland carbon code, and we go to a, a broker and arrange a contract with the with the farmer. So if they're planting, you know, a couple of hectares of trees, we can get money up front to offset the, the original capital cost and really make it work for the farmer. I mean, the other organisations are very interested in, in, in planting trees beside rivers, with the Woodland Trust in particular, very active in Scotland at the moment, trying to find places to plant trees by rivers, because they can see the multiple benefits that come from that. There's money out there, but it takes a bit of looking for, but the, the main one is the forestry grant scheme. And of course, Scottish Government have targets for that, because they can see... Uh, tree planting as uh, one of the main ways of you know, taking carbon in from the atmosphere. We haven't talked about peatland restoration. Well, that, that may be a, a useful thing to do. It's not really... Actually, we are doing some of it in the Edelson catchment too at Leadburn. Your peatland restoration is an important way of you know, restoring a habitat which will hold more water in times of high rainfall uh, and it will also reduce the, the loss of carbon into the atmosphere. There's money through Scottish Natural Heritage for through people in action to do that. Where where would you find more of this information? Tweet Forum has a we're about to launch a new newly designed website, but the, the existing website is pretty good. We've got all the information that we've done on the Edelson Water uh, there. That's a, a, a big part of our website at the moment. So yeah, I'm just just getting in touch and we can have a chat about what might be appropriate. Certainly, um, there's there's a lot of information on the rural payments website, so uh, and that'll describe all the agri environment grants and other grants that might be available. Help available. There's also some good tips on the FAST website, the Farm Advisory Service website, uh, on how to manage soils, how to reduce soil compaction, and so on. Okay, so that's great. Any final words? Well, maybe just uh, to, well, we all know that flooding is becoming more uh, more commonplace with, with climate change, and uh, I think I really just urge farmers to have a look at their own farm and just see where the the, the, the pressure points are. Plenty of sources of advice out there to help you consider some of the, the agri-environment schemes that uh, will help fund uh, flood management. And, uh, you know, it's a, catchment, it, it's a catchment problem, so certainly it's something that helps if you get lots of farmers involved rather than just individuals. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's so. You're working, farmers working together to increase the resilience of, a, of their own farms, but also the, the catchment and the things that are happening downstream if, if villages are flooding and we can't afford uh, kind of traditional concrete uh, defences. So yes, yeah, so all just look at the farm and say, think how climate change is going to affect things, so more extreme events. It's something that helps if you get lots of farmers involved rather than just individuals. So uh. yeah. yeah, I think that's so. You're working, farmers working together to increase the resilience of a, of their own farms, but also the, the catchment and the things that are happening downstream. If, if villages are flooding and we can't afford uh, kind of traditional concrete. Uh, Defences. So yes, yeah, so all just look at the farm and say, think how climate change is going to affect things. So more extreme events. Uh, so you don't want to lose your farmland. So I think a way of stabilising the water that's going to run off at high speed often involves fencing and planting. That's great. Thanks very much, Hugh and Chris, and uh, thanks very much for listening to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. Uh, you'll find more information on the Farm Advisory Service website and on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you.